and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary, and this week we're talking about Season 1, Episode 10, Nightmares. Whew, is there a lot to unpack in this episode? Oh my god, yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) So general warning, kind of like with the pack... There is some very realistically dark themes that will appear, especially towards the end of this episode. I know most of you listening probably know that this is not your first time watching the episode or talking about the episode, but we just want to make sure everyone is prepared for what's to come. Yep. Also, you're going to probably learn a little bit more about me in this episode <laughs> because it, with my personal experience, it's kind of hard to talk about some of Buffy's fears yep. and Buffy's nightmare without talking about my own experience and why exactly. those scenes. Yeah. Hit so hard. So I think you're going to learn a little bit more about me and Froggy this episode. Probably not the fun side. Not the side you wanted to learn about. This is going to be a therapy session. Right. But you're going get to get a little bit of a whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Final announcement. Since no one wrote in and said they hated it, and even one person told us they loved it, even though that might have been a bias. Um, <laughs> We're going to try to fit in one more book club episode into this season. So after Prophecy Girl, before we do the season wrap up, we'll cover California Demon, which is the second of Julie Kenner's Demon Hunting Soccer Mom series. And with that, let's get to Nightmares. Yay. Oh, God. Just getting darker and darker. Okay, so this aired May 12th, 1997, still a Monday. And our synopsis for this episode is Buffy and her friends live out their waking nightmares after something or someone turns their worst dreams into realities. Ooh. I don't know if I would have gone with the word dreams there. And no. I would have gone with like worst fears worst into fears. realities. Yeah. But I, I really guess it is their dreams because a lot of these are like literal dreams. Yeah, yeah. That people have had and then they play out in the real world. Yeah. It's just me being semantic and English majoring. It's all semantics. <laughs> All right. So no previously on, but we are still getting our mini lesson on what a Slayer is every episode. Yep. I feel like that guy who does the Slayer speech in the first season does all the narration for anything WB in the early 90s. Like his voice is so familiar and I wish I could find out who that is. Yeah, it's probably like the kind of like almost like the movie trailer guy. Like yeah. He was just the guy you went to. Yeah. To do these. Now, I feel like somewhere along the way and maybe it's for certain episodes you later get Giles, Giles doing that intro yeah Giles pops in because I because we're on season two in my house and Giles does the speech in season two okay so this intro does continue through season two yes yeah okay because I know they end up dropping it somewhere yeah yeah no we're still because we just watched uh what's my line part two last night and you do get a previously on in that one but yeah Giles is doing the uh okay. Slayer speech huh so that goes on longer than I thought. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting thing that we're, we're going to be tracking here. Yeah. Along with our other things that we're keeping an eye on. We got a lot of stuff that we, we're going to watch. We have another update on the uh, on the Xander medallion watch. <gasps> really? We do. Yep. What is it? We'll, we'll get there. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. I'm excited. I'm I, excited. Yes. Oh. I have something that you don't, it seems. You do. You yes. do. I'm very excited. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. So we begin in the master's lair. Buffy, 
looking super cute in braided pigtails. I said the same thing. I said super cute. Like, oh my God. I just, I love it. I love the little pigtails. They're so- I know. Little she French braids. So in this intro. I know. She's so cute. And like, even sleeping. Oh even my God. sleeping. Adorable. I know. God, I'm so jealous. She makes her way inside, stake in hand. As she looks around, we see the master hidden from view and watching her. He comes up behind her and she turns. Upon seeing him face to face, she is so filled with fear that the stake drops from her hand and he manages to corner her, hand going over her throat. As his grip tightens, he goes in for the kill, only for Buffy to yell, no, no. Over and over, she says it as we transition to Buffy's room, where Joyce is saying, yes. Yes. And trying to get her to wake up for school. Seems all of the above was just a really bad dream, making this the second episode in the season to open with a dream sequence. Yep. Xander's rock band fantasy and teacher's pet <laughs> theme. Oh my other. God. <laughs> and yes, true, Buffy's dreams of the master and welcome to the Hellmouth. But those were more visions and less like a full on narrative yeah, this dream is a sequence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, and Buffy's pillows continue to bother me. <laughs> Laying on that kind of lace, I feel would not be comfortable. No, I mean, even with regular cotton pillow sheets, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you have all of those creases on your face. Like you would have a lace pattern on your face. Yes, yeah, she after would that. have like full on lace pattern, like yeah. on the side of her face. Yeah. Those are like throw pillow covers, not sleeping pillow covers. But you know what? In a lot of these TV shows, you have people that they just look like they don't move around when they sleep. Like they wake up and they're perfectly laying on their back. So it's another one of those suspend your disbelief kind of things. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Anyway, Joyce tells Buffy it's time to get up for school and Buffy shockingly seems enthused by the idea. Maybe because that means it's day and so no more creepy death dreams. (laughs) At least for now. (laughs) Right now. Yeah. Joyce is also shocked by this enthusiasm and suggests that maybe it's a good time for her to buy a lotto ticket. (laughs) As Buffy goes to get dressed, Joyce tells her she talked to Buffy's father. Turning, Buffy asks if he's still coming and just you you can see it in Buffy's eyes yeah. she's stealing up for the news that her dad has to cancel Aww. something she's probably heard more times than she would like but no no Joyce says they're on for the weekend and good 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 so yes as a child of divorce I feel Buffy here I mean my dad's a complete bastard who like checked out of my life when I was around 14 which is you know just about the time yeah. this episode was airing yeah uh, to the point where my sister and I were not mentioned in the obituary of my paternal grandmother who died yeah. last month oh yeah yeah. yeah. my stepsister was mentioned but oh, of course us. yeah so, yeah <laughs> but as a kid before I learned I was better off without him I, yep. I was devastated every time he had to cancel so like I know this fear of Buffy's and I, and I know it well yeah yeah no I was lucky. My dad left when I was five years old. He did come back in at some point trying to be a dad, but then he just left again. So yeah, like I I always felt lucky that I didn't actually have him (laughs) around. So like when he left again, it wasn't even that much of a disappointment, but I still feel... it's it's still and then when you oh, see yeah. your friends with their dads and everything that is almost the hardest part of it yeah no it really is yeah I was seven but there was about seven years where we pretended he wanted to see us yeah and, like there was some sort of visitation not always regular but like by the time I was 14 it was just yeah it was it was kind of checking out so yeah goodbye so, yeah 
yeah, so this episode uh, hit this right in the This episode's rough. Yeah, especially a little bit later. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, yeah, we will. Over an establishing shot of the school, we get the start of Buffy and Willow's conversation as Willow asks if she sees her dad often. Moving to the school hallway, the two of them walk towards Buffy's locker as she says, not that often, that her dad is still in LA and so only comes down for weekends, sometimes. Willow asks when they got divorced and Buffy says that though it wasn't finalized until last year, they had been separated for a while before that. Okay, so I feel this is another change from the movie as Buffy's parents were seen to be like happily married yeah. there. And so this means it's quite possible in the show's retcon of the timeline that Hank and Joyce were attempting to work on their marriage through the events yeah. of the movie, but that it already been falling apart. Yeah, you know, like one of the things, one of the things that you can think of is like that their whole ridiculous thing in the movie was them trying too hard to make it look like they were working. Yeah, and if they were going off on couples retreats or something, it's probably yeah. why they didn't notice their child was having problems till she yeah. burned the school down. Yeah, well, they probably were going on a couples therapy retreat. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I'm thinking yeah. now. And, it, and it, so it kind of makes a little bit more sense that like they were wrapped up in this like we're pretending everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. And so when you think about it that way, like the whole thing with Buffy, like I don't even think she knows my name. Yeah. You know, it makes a lot of sense if they're trying to work out their problems, but in the, at a, you know, the detriment to their poor teenager. Yeah. Willow says something about it being harsh and Buffy agrees though, says her parents always tried to be really good about it around her. Again, the happy, shiny, everything's fine. Yeah. Willow responds that her parents don't even bicker, but that they do sometimes glare. She then <laughs> asked Buffy if she knows why her parents got divorced. And no, she doesn't, nor would she ever ask. She just kind of figures they stopped getting along. She feels, though, that she couldn't have helped things, what with the slaying and getting in trouble. Okay, but like we just said, their separation would have predated Buffy's call. Yeah, but you got to also think about when you're a teenager and you have guilt over things. Like she's feeling like maybe they could have worked things out if she hadn't gotten in trouble. So this is just Buffy's guilt, which really... <laughs> Yeah. works for what's going to happen later on in the episode. Yeah, no, definitely. And I know that like, again, like you said, teenagers, we internalize yeah. everything. We, you know, is someone like someone looks at you a little funny. You're like, oh my God, did I do something wrong? Are they mad at me? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that makes sense. But I'm just like, if they... If the divorce was finalized last year, Joyce and Buffy haven't even been in Sunnydale yeah. a full year. So the divorce was finalized before the move. And if they had been separated a while before that, it's possible they were separated before Buffy ever met Merrick. But like you said, she probably feels she didn't help the situation. Yeah. And maybe it would have been easier for her parents to work things out if she also wasn't like coming in late and with her clothes with blood on them. And, like, and burned down the school gym. Burned down the school gym. So yeah. Poor Buffy. I know. Oh, she closed her locker twice. <laughs> she just closed her locker twice. But we're also going to talk about her locker. Yes. Because this locker appears to be decorated differently than the last time we see Buffy's locker. Yeah. And this time, the decorations fit Buffy so much more. It's so cute. There's a mirror, a rose, a cutout of Michelangelo's David, a happy yep. face sticker, and a flyer for something. Way better than that weird shit from the first locker. Yeah, yeah. The first locker makes you think like somebody left their stuff in there and she inherited that locker and just didn't take anything out. <laughs> yeah, which she might have because she was yeah. a transfer student. So like yeah. maybe she's now finally like, oh, okay, I'm going to set up my, my stuff, kind of really move in. To go a little deeper, maybe she was starting 
starting to feel like I live here now, you know, because sometimes when you sometimes when you move around, you don't want to settle in because you're afraid that you might have to move again, which once the slaying starts up again, she might be feeling that way. That's a really good point. So yes, maybe this is a sign that Buffy is, you know, she's got her friends, she's got her washer, Mm -hmm. her mom's got the gallery. She's really starting to feel at home in Sunnydale. Joyce is just making that bank. (laughs) In the classroom, we see Cordelia checking herself out in the mirror, frowning when a student, Wendell, steps into her light. She tells him as much, and Xander joins the pair, reminding Wendell very sarcastically that Cordelia is the center of the universe, and they just revolve around her. She tells them to revolve themselves out of her light. Right as the bell rings. I don't know why, but Cordelia is looking extra super cute in I that scene. I think she's looking extra super cute because of what's going to happen exactly. later. Yeah, yeah. So that, they want to emphasize how like super cute she is right now. Yep. So that the what stuff happens later, later. In the episode will yeah. hit. Yeah. Because yeah, I was looking at that, and I'm like, they made her look extra cute. She did. Like, yeah, she. Because a lot of times Cordelia looks very like grown up in her fashion choices. Yeah. But this is just she is just so super cute and sparkly, and I love it. Yeah. No, she. But yeah, that it, it makes sense for what happens later. Yeah, we're also going to talk a little bit about Cordelia, not just what happens later, but her delivery of some lines, because it's it's interesting. It's very interesting. And yeah. I'm here for it. So we're going to talk about that. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I know what you're going to say. And I'm ready to talk about that later. So Willow and Buffy enter the classroom and Xander and Wendell go to sit in front of them, telling them how Wendell dared to be in Cordelia's <sighs> light, leading Willow to ask, why is she so Evita-like? <laughs> Willow is, of course, referring to Maria Eva Duarte de Perón, also known as Evita, who was the wife of Juan Perón and the First Lady of Argentina. Upon her death at the age of 33, due to cancer, she was given a state funeral, something usually reserved for the heads of state. Thanks to the musical Evita, originally performed in 1976, and later made into a movie with Madonna and Antonio Banderas, a movie so that good. came out in... <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> a movie that coincidentally came out in 1996. Yep. So why Willow most likely knows about Evita from his History. It's quite buff- possible Buffy understands the reference from the movie. Yep. But because of this movie, because of the musical, Evita has become a part of international pop culture. And when Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner was named the first woman president of Argentina in 2007, she said that the women of her generation owe Eva a debt for her example of passion and combativeness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Evita's one of those, I know, it, it's hard to like it's, go off of that because yeah. Evita's a very polarizing subject. Yeah. Depending on on who you talk to. Um, you know, she's very beloved in parts of Argentina and, and you feel like it, yeah. literally you could do a whole episode on her and her legacy. So that's that this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'll leave, I'll leave it there. There's history podcasts that can do it a lot better than we can. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to leave it there. But like, really, no, if you if like history podcasts, please, or even like probably a Broadway podcast goes into the history because of the musical. Yeah. Look into it because the, the talk surrounding Navita is very, very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it is. But we're gonna we're gonna move on to Buffy and Willow some more. <laughs> Uh, so Buffy answers that she thinks it's the hair. And Willow agrees, saying it does weigh heavy on the cerebral cortex. <laughs> Xander asks if there was any homework. And there's a whole bit about how their homework deals with active listening. Oh, my something God. Something that was demonstrated the previous day in class with Xander. And yet he heard none of it. Yes. Because he was too busy being a teenage boy and drooling over the health teacher in her sweater. Yes. Oh, yeah. Said teacher comes in and says they're going to partner up in order to work more on active listening. But first, they're going to review. The camera focuses in on Buffy as some of the students begin to open their books, the teacher explaining a bit more about the theory they're going to be dealing with.
Buffy drops her pencil, and when she goes to pick it up, she sees a strange boy in the doorway. Too young to be a Sunnydale student. They lock eyes, and then he seems to be gone. As she straightens up, the teacher asks Wendell to read from the book. Wendell opens his book and... Bam! Oh my Tarantulas god. come pouring out. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, said child, who we will later learn is named Billy, is played by Jeremy Foley, who outside of Buffy is probably best known for being Griffin on the Nickelodeon show Caitlin's Way. Wendell, along with everybody else, screams and he begs someone to get them off of him. As the chaos unfolds in the classroom, we see Billy once again in the doorway, apologizing. Aww. Credits, still awesome. Still awesome. After After the credits, we return to the master's lair, this time in reality, as he talks to Colin of fear, how it's a wonderful thing. He tells Colin that it's the most powerful force in the human world, more powerful even than love or hate. I, however, am highly distracted by the sparkly shirt the master has on under his leather. It's it's just, it's very shiny. I know. I mean, when you're trapped in a cave, you got to try to live your best life as much as you can. So a sparkly shirt. Like you need something that's going to like glimmer in the candlelight. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it adds to the ambiance. It does. It does. That I was just, I was very distracted by it the whole time. I was like, but then he also looks like he could go to a, a goth night at the small child nightclub. Oh, I mean, he would love goth night at the small child love nightclub. So many small children to eat. I know. And he looks sparkly doing it. Master is always the height of fashion. <laughs> he asks Colin what it was he feared as a mortal boy. And Colin replies, monsters. It should be noted here that Colin's voice has an echoey effect to it. Not really heard before this episode. Yeah, I noticed that. It was a little weird. I'm guessing this is meant to signify that he's growing in his powers. Yeah. The master goes on to explain that fear can be controlled that like pain, it is all in the mind. And he demonstrates this by reaching out and grabbing hold of a cross. (laughs) If he can conquer his fear, then it cannot control him. Both he and Colin can feel that there are things happening above, a disruption in the psychic energy that apparently surrounds Sunnydale. Colin says things are changing and the master agrees. Things are changing for the worst. Bum, bum, bum. We return to Sunnydale High now the next morning (laughs) as Joyce drops Buffy off. She asks Buffy if she's okay mentioning that once again, she was calling out in her sleep. Buffy assures her she's fine before realizing she forgot her bag at home. Bag she was taking to stay with her dad for the weekend. Joyce says they can swing by the house to pick it up. And Buffy once again wants to confirm that her dad is picking her up at school at 3.30. This prompts Joyce to ask if she's afraid her dad won't show. And Buffy says, no, no. Well, maybe. Should she be? No, of course not. Her dad adores her, but no more so than Joyce does. (laughs) Laughing, Buffy climbs out of the car and heads inside where she is immediately immediately set upon by Willow and Xander. They were waiting for her. Willow wanting to know if Buffy talked to Giles about spiders, about the spiders yet. According to Xander, she's been insane about the spiders. (laughs) She doesn't like them, okay? They're furry bodies, they're sticky webs, and what do they need all those legs for anyway? I am Willow. Sound familiar? Anya yes, will say yes, something yes, about bunnies in Once More, more With Feeling. feeling. Yep. But no, I am with Willow. Oh no, I'm so with Willow. So with Willow. As they head in towards the library, Willow answers her own question, saying they are for crawling all over your face in the middle of the night. Oh. <sighs> Xander is unmoved by this, not really worried about the spiders. Now if Nazis crawled across <laughs> his face in the middle of the night, and I'm just like, Xander, that that's a weird jump to make. Like we went from spiders. Spiders 
to Nazis. You're more likely to have a spider crawling on your face than... But I mean, I suppose if fascists and and Nazis were stepping on my face, that would be very concerning. Or maybe Nazi spiders? Oh, that's the worst. Let's not even go there. Ah, I can't even, no, no, no. (laughs) Xander also explains that they live on a hell mouth. There's monsters. He gets it. And when they find out what's causing this, they'll find it and Buffy will kill it. Simple. Thanking Xander for the confidence, they head inside to find Giles, who it seems got lost in the stacks. He hasn't found anything of interest yet, but we'll keep looking. And while he does, he suggests that Buffy and the others talk to Wendell. They find him outside, sitting atop a picnic table. And oh, I sat atop many a table in high school. Like oh, if yeah. a classroom had a table or like a window alcove, I sat on them instead of at a desk. Oh yeah, yeah. Why would you sit at a desk when you can sit on a table? Exactly. <laughs> Tables are just so basic. Or no, wait, desks are making Tables are awesome. I don't know. Uh, yeah, why? Just sit on a table. <laughs> they ask if he wants to talk about the day before and somewhere in the conversation... They mistakenly call the spiders insects, prompting Wendell to correct them. They're not insects, they're arachnids. Why does everybody get that wrong? Buffy asks him if this has ever happened before, and he says, yeah, lots of times. Willow remarks how Wendell must hate spiders more than she does, and he says he doesn't hate spiders, he loves them, they hate him. Before anyone can elaborate on that, Cordelia walks by, commenting to Buffy that she hopes she studied for the history test. Huh? What history test? The one they're having in fourth period right now? Buffy says she doesn't know anything about a history test and runs off in a panic. Willow asks Wendell what he meant by he loves spiders. And Wendell explains how he once had the best collection in the Tri-County area. That is until his parents shipped him off to wilderness camp. He asked his brother to take care of his spiders, but he left the heat lamps on too long, killing them. This was when the nightmares started. Nightmares of him being in class, being asked to read something. And when he opens the book, bam! Spiders seeking vengeance for their death. (laughs) He can't blame them. And until he heard everybody else screaming, he thought he had just nodded off. Hmm. Back inside, Buffy heads towards her history classroom. She runs into Cordelia who says, you don't even know where the classroom is, do you? Not surprising since you haven't been to class all semester. Buffy says she was there the first day, she thinks. And Cordelia tells her the class is through the door she's currently standing in front of. So it's nice to see a bit of this Cordelia. The Cordelia to come. Yeah. She's not overly friendly, but she's not openly hostile. Yeah. And when looking at the script, the direction in the script even clarifies not mean just a fact. Yeah. So it, it is nice to, to see the Cordelia that is to come. And we're going to see even more of this Cordelia in the next two episodes. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is kind of, even though it's a very small moment, this is almost beginning the Cordelia transformation. Yeah, because she's she does turn out not not as bad like she really does like she has a great character arc she does she has a fantastic character yeah. arc, and i love it so much yeah when buffy asks how she is supposed to pass having not been in class and having not studied cordelia offers blind luck <laughs> and i know this is part of a nightmare and this is a classic one at that having <sighs> a test or a presentation that you're unprepared for but we literally saw buffy in history class last episode yeah but again it's part of whatever is going on with the with the nightmares so like yeah like it's it's just one of those weird things where you know logically she has been to class but but because of the psychic energy and everything that's going on 
you know, it's messing. It's just messing with things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, there's no logic to nightmares. This is really one of the weirdest nightmares. And I mean, I'm almost 40 years old and I still have nightmares about not having been to class all year and not being able to find my classroom. It's so bizarre. (laughs) So I don't have nightmares about that, but I do have random momentary anxiety panics when I'm like walking the dog in the morning and then I'm like, shit, did I have an eight o'clock meeting? Am I missing something right now? Oh my God. So, like, I understand the like, oh no, is there something, am I supposed to be doing something right now? Yeah. I don't, I don't have the classroom, the classroom fear anymore, but it is a very common one. It's so weird. And it's still like the fact, and, and it's getting to the point though, where even in my, in my dream, I know logically that it can't be happening. I'm like, wait a second. No, no. I'm an adult. I'm not in school of any kind right now. Why is this happening? <laughs> I'm not Josie Grossy anymore. I am not a child. <laughs> Dreams are weird. I know. They are. They are. Oh, my God. At her desk, Buffy looks around, everyone else engrossing and writing down their answers. She looks at the clock and then her test papers flipping through before going to write her name at the top because, hey, at least she knows that. <laughs> Only her pencil breaks. And so she has to sharpen it. By the time she's done doing that, the time is skipped and the test is over, leaving her with a blank page. As everyone gets up to turn in their tests and leave, we once again see Billy lurking in the door of Buffy's classroom. We follow Billy as he leaves the doorway, walking through the hall and coming across two girls, one of whom says she's going for a smoke break. In the basement, as she opens the door, Billy remarks she shouldn't go down there. She doesn't hear Billy, and so she goes down anyway, setting her books and such near the boiler before pulling out a pack of cigarettes and lighting up one. During all this, she fails to see the ugly man, as he is called in this episode, lurking in the shadows. He sees her, however, and comes at her talking about Lucky 19 as he begins beating her with his arm, which in reality is more like a club or a bat. Mm-hmm. The camera focuses on a poster telling us that smoking helps. <laughs> Well, maybe if she had gone to smoke behind the gym, like all the girls at my school did. So before we move on, let's look at how you Yes. I just love the, I mean, first of all, I like the fact that they have a smoke and kill sign in the basement because apparently they know where those children are going. That's where the children are going. Uh, so the idea of the smoking kills poster is in the script. Okay, like, it does say that like as they cut away, there's a smoking a smoking kills poster. <laughs> um, but speaking of the script, before we move on, let's look at how the original script describes the ugly man. Look up boogeyman in the dictionary. You'll see his picture. His face is hideous, distorted. He wears a strange stunted cap on his head. He has a flap of skin that runs over his dreadful lips. One eye is torn and shredded, and where his right arm should be is a big old club. Yeah. No, no, that's yeah, that's that's unpleasant. No. Buffy, along with Giles, goes to see the girl, who we now know is named Laura, at the hospital, hoping to find out just what it was that attacked her in the basement. She said she had never seen anything like it. She doesn't remember much, but she does remember him saying Lucky 19, which was weird, right? The nurse says Laura needs to rest, and Buffy and Giles leave talking to the doc. They ask if she'll be okay, and he says she'll recover, that she got off easy, at least compared to the other one. He points to where, through a window, we see a boy 
laying unconscious. The doctor says he was found about a week ago. Same injuries as Laura, just much worse. Whoever this guy is, they need to be stopped. Yes. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Back at Sunnydale High, one of your stereotypical cool guys. (laughs) Way cool guy. (laughs) Oh, way cool guy. I'm sorry. That's what the Buffy Wikipedia page said his name was. Way cool guy. Okay. So way cool guy hangs by the locker talking with his friends as Willow and Xander come down the hall. Willow imagines that it does seem strange. Wendell having a dream and then that exact thing happening right before she opens her locker. Her locker unlike Buffy, seems to be pretty much the same, except for the fact that I think the Nerf Herder sticker at the top is new. Yes. Yeah, that is new. Yep. (laughs) As they wonder if Buffy and Giles will bring new information back from the hospital, the way cool guy's mother comes down the hall, fussing over him, calling him pet names, giving him hugs, and just generally embarrassing him. And that's what it's a way cool guy, way cool guy, and way cool guy's mom. I love it. Way cool guy's mom. This is clearly his nightmare. Yes. Xander and Willow, slightly amused, but not yet seeing a connection between that and what happened to Wendell, because, you know, people's parents stop by school for various reasons, head into class. Only Xander is now naked. Something he and Willow only realize when the class starts laughing. He declares it must be a dream before pinching himself. Realizing it's not, he screams and runs from the class, Willow following. And this is where you can see that he's wearing the medallion. Yes, he is wearing the medallion. Yep. Yes, he's still (laughs) wearing it. I don't know what it is, but he is still wearing it. Yes, yeah. So you could could see it clearly here because he was (laughs) mostly naked. (laughs) I wonder if I could find screen caps from this episode, if I can zoom in enough to figure out what it is. it's so far away and so I mean, blurry. It has to be a religious medal. Yeah, yeah. It's because it's but, a, it looks like a Christian medallion. But then I get annoyed that if it's a religious medal, why why doesn't it work the same way as a cross? A cross. Yeah. yeah. And I understand plot. I do understand that everything comes down to plot. Yes. But but why would I, they have him wear it almost consistently? Oh, because it could be his. It could be yeah, Nikki's. That's true. Um. So I don't know. Also, look at like some like recent pictures of. Nicholas Brandon and see if he like wears anything. Yeah. Okay. In the library, Giles stands in front of a table, the entire top of it littered with newspapers as he mutters about how this cannot be happening. Oh. Buffy enters, asking what the sitch is, and Giles tells her that he pulled back copies of the newspaper but hasn't found anything yet. He doesn't even know if there's anything to find. When Buffy asks what he means by he doesn't know, he explains that he can't read, which is definitely not right, as Giles on a normal day can oh. read in five languages. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what do we think those five languages are? Because there's clearly English and Latin. Clearly English and Latin. Probably, I'm going to also say French and Italian. So I was going to wonder if it was like the Romance languages, if it was like Spanish, French, and Italian. And German. Yeah, okay, but that's more than five. So that's why I'm like, I think Giles has got to be able to read in more than five languages. We see Giles. Well, okay, that's no, that's not true. He can translate a lot of languages. He can probably read fluently in about five or six. Yeah. Because I was like, he have like Mandarin or Arabic or something strange in the mix, but those he can probably just translate. He probably yeah. can't like look at it and immediately be able to read it. Yeah. He says all the words seem like gibberish to him. Giles slams down the newspaper and Buffy picks it back up. The boy on the front, Billy Palmer, is the boy she's been seeing around school. According to the paper, he was found beaten after one of his little league games and remains in critical condition. Giles ponders how it is Buffy could be seeing him before putting forth the theory of astral projection. The idea that why the body sleeps, the consciousness 
consciousness can travel through the use of an astral body. Well, a coma is like sleeping, right? She wonders if it's Billy's astral body she's been seeing, and she notices the number on his jersey, Lucky 19. But before she can go too far down that that trail of thought, her dad enters saying he's been looking for her everywhere and that they need to talk privately. Buffy immediately knows something is wrong. Okay, so in the script, Hank is introduced as Hank Summers, nice guy, 40. She quickly introduces her dad to Giles before heading outside. As they walk the school grounds, her dad tells her that the reason he came early is he needs to tell her something about him and her mother and why they split. He says he knows they always told her it was because they grew too far apart, but she's older now. She can know the truth. I like how like a whole year makes this difference. (laughs) It wasn't like they, it wasn't like us. Like they split when they were little. Like her parents split literally a year ago, but now she's older and can understand. Yes. I understand this is a nightmare. I just love that it's like a year. Yeah. Uh, Hank then proceeds to tell Buffy that it was her. Oh, God. Okay. So hard. Um, Having her, raising her, seeing her every day. He tells her that she couldn't see what was right in front of her. And that's no surprise because she only ever thinks of herself. And this (gasps) is about the time I start. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Now I'm going to cry because you're crying. (laughs) I I was crying watching this the other day because my heart just I know. It's so. And and Buffy. And Sarah's acting here, just oh. with her face. Oh, is just the so devastated good. look on like, her face just, and the tears. Yeah, like how broken she looks. It's just it's such a good, subtle moment. It really it is. It, it, I mean, yeah. it is. Like, give Sarah all the Emmys. Yeah, yeah. Like, like no, for, everybody talks about, like, Prophecy Girl. It's like, no, no, just give her all of them for this moment. Because for, this for, was, such, for such a ridiculous show, like, it is so heartbreaking and they like there are so many good performances in this ridiculous show. Continuing, he says she got into trouble, embarrassed them, that she wasn't nearly as bright <sighs> as they thought she would be. He asks if she could stand to live in a house with a daughter like that. <sighs> she asks why he's saying all this and he tells her he is just trying to be honest with her and that it's really immature of her to be all blubbery when he's just trying to tell her the truth. He ends this little spiel by saying he doesn't really get anything out of his weekends with Buffy and so that maybe it's better they just stop them all together. Patting her leg, he stands and walks away with a sure you sure thought you'd turn out different. Oh. <sighs> His acting uh, too is good in this scene. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just both. But Especially this, since this is the first time you're it's seeing the first Hank. Time we, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of, ooh, I didn't even think about yeah. that. This is like, the this first is the time first... we see Hank on yeah. screen. Yeah, you because, you know, we'll see him more down the line. But yeah, yeah this we don't is... see him much more. We only see him like once more, I think. Yeah, no, I thought I saw but... more, but it's been so long. But yeah, like this right. is your first introduction to Hank Summers. Oh, this is, that's, that's brutal. And because Buffy and Buffy will talk about him a lot, like all the stuff that they, you know, they did together and they do together. But yeah, this is the first time you see him. So like to have that as your introduction to him is yeah rough. No, it's yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You're right. I just everything about the scene is rough. And I feel so much for Buffy here. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I, I was young when my parents divorced. I was seven. And my dad was clearly having an affair. So yeah. as a kid, I, I never really had that fear that it was about me because I, I, I knew like I remember mm-hmm. the adults talk. I knew what was going on. Um, but now sometimes looking back and yes, I do occasionally stalk my father's social media. 
Um, you know, and I see him talk about my stepsister and my stepsister's kids. And you do wonder if he had regrets and like, if he even cares or misses us. And I just, Buffy really needs a hug. I, really I know. need a hug. I need Everyone to give you a hug. A hug oh my God. Uh, yeah, you soon, soon there soon, will be hugs. Very soon. Yes. Yes. But yeah. I don't even, I don't even know if my dad is alive or dead. So <laughs> everybody, see, everybody needs a hug right now. He moved, to, just... he moved to Florida and I don't know if he got eaten by a gator or we can hope. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, there's a lot to unpack in this episode. This is, this episode's rough. This is rough. This is a really rough episode for a lot of reasons. Looking up, she sees Billy lurking in the doorway. Her father just passed through, but she's too upset to follow him just yet. She needs another moment, closing her eyes as tears fall. Xander and Willow enter the library, Xander pulling on a Sunnydale High t-shirt as he asks where <laughs> Buffy is. Giles, making tea in his office, tells them Buffy's dad came by and that she just stepped out. He also notices Xander changed his clothes <laughs> and asks where his original outfit went. Xander would love <laughs> that. That's why I just love that. I would, I would love to know. Please. <laughs> I was wearing clothes and then I wasn't. (laughs) Willow explains how Xander ended up in front of the class sans clothes and is about to remark on how it was kind of funny (laughs) when a glare from Xander stops her. She then admits that she would hate to have everyone staring at her like that. With nudity, Xander (laughs) reminds them, it's a nightmare. Yes! Yes, it is. Willow is starting to catch on. That is exactly Xander's nightmare. Just like the spiders were Wendell's nightmare. And Giles says he's had nightmares about getting lost in the stacks or not being able to read. So then their dreams are coming true? No. Giles tells Xander that their dreams coming true would be a musical comedy. Hello, (laughs) season six. Yeah. (laughs) What is happening here is that their nightmares are coming true. Willow asks what could be causing this, and Giles replies, Billy. An explanation that is extremely (laughs) short. Compared to his normal ones. Very succinct. Xander asks who Billy is, and Giles explains more. How Billy is a boy in a coma, and how he must be trapped in a nightmare world. One he is astral projecting from, and so bringing the nightmares with him. Something apparently very easy to do if you live on a hellmouth. Well, great. How do they stop it? Giles doesn't know, but they need to find out soon or else everyone in Sunnydale will be facing their worst fears. Which takes us to Cordelia, who is at her locker. And in true Cordelia fashion, the decoration of her locker is one big mirror with a glitter border and hearts. Looking in said mirror, she sees her hair is frizzy and the barrettes in it are now childish ducky ones, which I actually really like. Cute, yeah. Right? Like, I want the ducky barrettes. I know. She begins frantically combing through her hair as... As we move back to Buffy, who is wandering about, still collecting herself after the conversation with her dad. She sees Billy again, this time with him heading into the gym. And she follows, finding him sitting on the bleachers. Sitting next to him, Buffy asks if something bad happened to him after his game. He says he doesn't remember, but he does remember the game and playing second base. She asks if he's lucky 19, and Billy says that's what the ugly man calls him, that he wants to kill him. Buffy asks why, and Billy begins to say something, only to scream he's here, as the ugly man goes to hit Buffy with his club. He actually does hit Buffy and she ends up on the floor. Billy takes off as the two fight, but in the end, Buffy is also forced to retreat. She ends up locking him in the gym, putting a lacrosse stick through the door 
handles. It won't hold him forever, but it will hold him for now. <laughs> Back in the library, Giles says that Buffy doesn't know yet what is happening and that given the things she is prone to dreaming about, it's imperative that they find her. Xander suggests they split up and Giles agrees that would be faster. Faster, yes, but Willow is unsure it's safer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Willow watches horror movies. She knows that <laughs> Willow right? is Willow moving. Is very <laughs> yeah. Side with Willow. I'd be like, no, no, let's not split up. No, no. Bad things are happening here. Nightmares are happening. Outside the gym, Buffy asks Billy who that is, but Billy just responds, the ugly man. She says he's too strong and that they need to find her friends. No, Billy says they need to hide. That is how it happens. They hide and then he comes. Back to Willow, who is wandering the halls alone, thanks to everyone's plan to split up. As she comes down the stairs, she sees Cordelia, now in full-on <laughs> nerd regalia, being dragged off to chess club, a club <laughs> Cordelia states she's not even in. So two things. In the script, it describes what Cordelia is wearing in the scene as the squarest, clashiness outfit Kmart ever sold. <laughs> also, it says Willow watches her being dragged away, not without satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, considering the comment that uh, Cordelia made in the first episode about seeing the softer side of Sears, you, yeah, can't, no, blame, I don't blame Willow. you can't blame Willow one bit. But I love, I, I do love the vintage looking nerds dragging her yeah. to chess club. And they all look like they're named Dexter or something. Yeah, yeah. Like they're they're right out of Revenge of the Nerds. That's so good. Hearing her name whispered, Willow opens the door to the basement and steps inside. No. Going down the steps, she calls for Buffy. And once she reaches the bottom, she starts telling herself that she's not afraid. One might think she would be, but she's not. No, don't listen to the creepy voice calling from the basement. Creepy voices from the basement never end well. Oh no, no, they do not. No. It's then that a hand reaches out and grabs her, right as we switch to Xander. Xander, who has opened a door to a corridor where a swastika seems to be painted by the fire alarm. <laughs> There's a couple swastikas on the wall there. I mean, that's horrific, but it's also really random. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is supposed to be a reference to his earlier comment his about Nazis, about Nazis crawling across but... his face, I, but the corridor he's in also seems to be trashed and and or under construction. Yeah, it, l- it looks like that there's work being done on it. Like this, the whole setup for this scene is just very weird. Yeah. But it's cool because he finds a chocolate bar on the ground. Sander, no. Followed by another. No. As he begins to eat them, he declares it must be his lucky day as someone else's loss is his chocolatey goodness. No, no, don't eat random candy bars that you find in the hallway being worked on with swastikas. Right? Dead Sander. Come on. Buffy and Billy are still on the move trying to get to the library. As they pass by a chain-linked fence, Buffy looks over to the kids playing baseball. He tells Buffy that when you lose, it's bad, and that they lost the game last week because of him. He missed a ball when he should have caught it. Buffy tells him one missed ball doesn't mean it was his fault. He wasn't the only one playing. That's when Billy tells her that he said it was his fault. He? He who? Did someone hurt him after the game? Billy doesn't want to talk about it and asks Buffy if they can go another way to find her friend. Yes, of course. They'll go around the cafeteria. Only they can't because because ugly man is blocking the way. <laughs> to escape him, Buffy pushes Billy through some hedges and into a graveyard. Huh, suddenly it's night. Hmm. Confused, Buffy asks what just happened as Billy asks this is where her friends are. No, no, 
it is not. No, no, nope. Willow is elsewhere, being dragged by a stage manager who seems glad she showed up. Aldo was apparently beside himself. No. It seems Willow is to sing a duet with the Italian opera singer. The pair of them being billed as the world's best singers. He directs <laughs> her to the stage. He tells her that he hopes she's warmed up because the crowd is savage tonight. All the reviewers showed up. They reach the curtain and Willow peeks through terrified, <laughs> saying she didn't learn the words right before she's shoved onto stage, bumping into Aldo. He begins singing and then pauses, waiting for Willow to join in. She doesn't. So he sings a few more lines before turning to her once more as she asks, my turn? He nods and she goes to sing, but only a strange squeak comes out, much to the audience's displeasure. <laughs> so the duet Willow is supposedly performing with Aldo is from Puccini's Madame Butterfly, hence the kabuto. Yep. Willow is dressed as the title character, Kyo Kiyo-san, while Aldo is her new American husband, Pinkerton. In the actual opera, Willow's part does not occur until Pinkerton's first five lines, meaning the first pause before Aldo continued would have been inaccurate. Yes. But I don't know if this is the writers messing up or just it's Willow's nightmare, so it's not going to be accurate. Yeah. But probably just not. Yeah. It could be either one. Yeah. Xander is continuing his way down the corridor, still collecting candy. <laughs> Eventually, he comes across a chocolate hurricane bar, something he says is the best and that he hasn't had since his sixth birthday. As he speaks, we can hear faint clown-like laughter in the background. And that's when Xander realizes what's going on. He turns towards some hanging plastic sheeting only to see the outline of a clown approaching. A moment later, the clown bursts through knife in hand going for Xander. He screams and he runs. <laughs> Clearly the trail of candy meant to lure Xander is a reference to Hansel and Gretel. Yep. We will get more in-world elaboration on the Hansel and Gretel story come season three. Yes, yes, I can't wait to talk about that one. Oh, such a good episode. Yep. Back in the cemetery, Buffy isn't sure where her friends, the sun, or the rest of the world went. She <laughs> goes back to Billy, who is staring at a freshly dug grave the coffin open and waiting. As he wonders who they're going to be burying, the master appears interrupting, saying there's no fun in burying someone if they're already dead. <laughs> Eyes locking on Buffy, he immediately recognizes her as the Slayer, telling her she's prettier than the last one. Did he ever see the last one? He's been under the ground for 60 years. Did he... Maybe the last one he faced? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah, last I think... weekend. I don't know. Maybe Darla brought him a photo. I don't know. I don't know. I uh, that's, what I, that's what I got from it, that it was the last one that he physically saw. Okay. That would make, okay, that would make sense. Like, you were yeah. prettier than the last one I, I fought. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he, he may not have seen the one before her, but he, the one that he saw before he was trapped. Okay. That makes more sense. Buffy tells him that he can't be there, that none of this is real because there's no way he's free. He responds that he's free because she fears it, because her nightmares are being made flesh. He moves closer as she says, this is all a dream. No, a dream is a wish your heart makes. <laughs> this is real life. And with that, he grabs her and throws her down into the grave, beginning to bury her alive. I think we all know where a dream is a wish your heart makes yes, comes yes. from. But just in case... It is a song sung by Cinderella in the 1950 Disney movie of the same name. Yep. It was written and composed by Mac David, Al Hoffman, and Jerry Livingston, and performed by Eileen Woods. Yep. Willow backs out of the doorway, escaping a booing crowd, and runs into Xander. She laments to him that she had to sing badly <laughs> before asking what happened to him. He, in turn, asks if she remembers his sixth birthday. Yeah, of course, <laughs> the clown who chased him, and he got so scared he... Oh. 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 They turn to see the clown slicing his way through more of the plastic. 
why is this whole school under construction? I don't know. What nightmare is that? I don't get yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I want to know. Like, who has the nightmare of the school being under construction? Maybe the administration, because they are like the budget and it's yeah. out of control. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. They run only to slam into Giles. All agree they need to find Buffy. And now they're just about to run out of school when Xander turns back, having had enough. He punches the clown <laughs> in the face and tells him he was a lousy clown and his balloon animals suck. I love that. Anyone can make a giraffe. I and love I love how he how he punched the clown. I love it. You I just love it. Like punch you your go, fear. Xander, you yeah. That clown. <laughs> that handled, they head outside where it is nothing but chaos. <laughs> Sirens are going off in the background. Smoke is filling the air. People are running about screaming. Giles says they need to do something in quick before the world of nightmares completely merges with their own. He suggests they try waking Billy, but Xander and Willow don't want to leave without Buffy. And really, neither does he, but they have no idea where Buffy is. Willow has an idea. Maybe she's in the creepy cemetery that now <laughs> seems to live across from the school. <laughs> when do we have, I mean, we know that there's a lot of churches and cemeteries, but uh, pretty sure <laughs> that wasn't there earlier. Yep. And, you know, it's night there, decided it being daytime on yeah. their side of the street. So I like the little circle hole that. <laughs> yeah, like it's clearly a portal into like another. It's very strange. <laughs> the three enter the cemetery as Xanders asks whose nightmare they're in now. As they come across the grave, now with a headstone for Buffy, Giles says it's his. That he failed. Uh, isn't Giles currently unable to read? How did he know that was Buffy's headstone? Or does this new nightmare overwrite the old one? I think the old, I think the new nightmare overruled, overwrote the old one because in the first nightmare, it was him getting lost in the stacks. So then he had his nightmare about not being able to read. So now this now is, this a, is new, okay. a new nightmare. But the headstone does give her correct birth year of That's 1981. What I, yeah. You know what? Seeing the headstone... And seeing the birth year, 1981 to 19, was it 96 or 97? Uh, it should be 97 by now, yeah. but I did not pay attention to see which yeah. one it was. But it it really hit me because I was born in 1981. Yeah. So seeing that and re- realizing that I'm the same age as Buffy, like, yeah. was, was a little, yeah, that was a little, that was a little difficult. <laughs> oh. Like, oh, she was 16, like, in in the nightmare she was 16 when she died yeah so it must be 97 because yeah. as we'll see when we get to prophecy girl she says i'm 16 years old i don't yeah. want to die yeah yeah so yeah so i think i think they've caught up to real time by this point yeah did you see anything about um how difficult the whole scene was for sarah oh the the, the burying alive because that creeps her out that's her and and because i was looking i was looking into some some stuff on the wiki and there was a whole misunderstanding between oh? between her and uh, the creator and the producers and everything, she's scared as hell of being buried alive. And when they were going over fears and everything, you know, everybody was talking about what they were afraid of so that they could try to be careful. Well, somebody must have misunderstood her that she was afraid, like she has a horrible fear of being buried alive. So that whole scene was a lot of her being terrified. Like she oh, was gosh. messed up for she said the rest of the day yeah no a lot of it was was her she had she had a rough time with the the bearing alive scene and she has to do that a few times yeah. throughout the show i think maybe you know later they on another way to film it later on yeah yeah but the way that they filmed it really got oh, to her she said Sarah. yeah 
Yeah, she said there had to be there was a misunderstanding, like she didn't come across it the way that she wanted to, or they took it the wrong way. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, things get misconstrued, and I'm yeah. sure everybody felt really bad. After yeah, <laughs> especially because she just got done having nightmares about the about dummy. Probably, yeah, yeah, about the stupid dummy. Now we're gonna like. Oh, the end yeah. of the season was just not a good time for Sarah. I know. Yeah, she had a rough time. <laughs> oh. So Giles kneels beside the grave, and the speech he gives is is it's just heartbreaking about how he should have been more cautious. He should have trained her more, trained her better. But she was so gifted and the <sighs> evil was just so great. Aww. He lays a hand atop the soil right as Buffy's hand shoots <laughs> out from beneath to grab him, causing him, Willow, and Xander to scream. <laughs> he moves back to stand with Willow and Xander as Buffy climbs out of her own grave the first of two times that she will do this in the yep. show. Yep. The other being season six after she's brought back from the dead. She stands and brushes dirt from her clothes, telling them that she thought she was dead. As she looks at the others, Willow exclaims, your face. It seems Buffy is currently a vampire. The first of the Scoobies to be shown as a vampire. Yep. Willow and Xander will later be shown as vampires in season three. And an alternate vampire king version of Giles comes into play in the Lost Slayer series of novels. Horrified, she doesn't want the others to look at her. As Giles says, she never told him she dreamed of becoming a vampire. This isn't a dream, Buffy responds. And no, it's not. But if they can wake Billy, there's a chance they can still make this all go away. He just needs her to hold it together until they do. Can she do that? She thinks she can, but they need to hurry because she's starting to get hungry. Something Xander really hopes is a joke. (laughs) As they walk off, Willow asks Giles what happens if they can't get everything to go back to normal, prompting Giles to tell her to shut up. (laughs) I just like that. Do shut up, Willow. Shut up. At the hospital, they head towards Billy's room. The hospital is, of course, in complete chaos. (laughs) Doctors dealing with broken hands, unable to work. Nurses speaking of epidemics. Giles tries to wake Billy by calling his name, but his astral form says that won't work. I think there was a couple zombies. Yeah, I think think there were zombies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it was bad. (laughs) When Giles asks what will, Buffy says she has an idea, as she sees the ugly man coming down the hall. Willow, meanwhile, is checking on the outside, where there seems to be giant killer bees. So whatever is happening, it needs to happen fast. Yeah. Seeing the ugly man, Buffy says she's glad he showed up, that she's been having a really bad day. (laughs) And while he may think he's scary, there are scarier things than him. And she's one of them. In full vamp mode, she goes to attack. The two fight, slamming each other into walls, moving from the hall to the hospital room before Buffy finally breaks ugly man's arms and sends him into a wall, knocking him unconscious. Billy asks if he's dead and Buffy tells him that he needs to do the rest. No more hiding. She extends a hand to him and he joins her, going to tear off the mask of the ugly man. As he does so, light fills the room and suddenly everything is back to normal. Buffy is no longer a vampire and Xander and Willow are back in their original clothes. (laughs) Xander apparently also has a backpack. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't have but I yeah. guess it's because he had the backpack when he like lost that outfit yeah that's 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 what I yeah that's how he was when he lost his clothing earlier <laughs> Billy starts to wake as the group circles his bed opening his eyes he said he had the strangest dream and they were all in it Aww. who are they <laughs> Giles goes to get a doctor as Buffy smiles. Billy's line about his dream is, of course, very similar to what Dorothy says upon waking at the end of the 1939 movie version of The Wizard of Oz. Yep. As Giles and Xander go to leave the room, they run into Billy's little league coach, who says he comes by to visit every day, hoping that Billy might be awake. (sighs) After all, he's his lucky 19. (sighs) At those words, Buffy and Giles share a look. What happened is becoming quite clear. The coach asks how Billy's doing, and Buffy 
steps aside to show him he's awake, something it was clear the coach was not expecting. Buffy then confronts him, saying how he blamed Billy for the loss and so caught up with him after the game. At first, the coach tries to play dumb, but when Billy also says it, he goes to run, only to be caught by Giles and Xander. Billy tells the coach that it wasn't his fault, or did the coach forget there were eight other players? As Xander and Giles escort the coach from the room, Buffy tells Billy, good job. Uh, So this is kind of what we talked about last week, how sometimes the monsters are people. Yes, the ugly man was literally a monster. But that was his nightmare. Yeah, he was a monster inside Billy's hat. A representation of the true monster, which was the coach. A coach willing to beat a 12-year-old for losing a baseball game. Yeah, that was hard to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a Little League game. A A Little little League game. You know, it's... Well, and then Xander says later, you know, oh, you haven't seen parents at those things. Yeah. But yeah, a a Little League coach literally beat a child into a coma because he didn't catch a ball. Like, yeah, that's... Yeah, it's so hard to... (sighs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, so there's a thing, because they talked to the creator of the show about this, and when they're talking about human monsters, um, he once said, people are scarier than creatures every time out of the gate. Oh, absolutely. Creatures are fun. Yeah. And he's right, because at the end of the day, you can tell yourself that these creatures aren't real. Yeah. People, not so much. Yeah, yeah, like vampires and all the crazy demons that they're going to face and they have faced, they don't exist. They're out of fantasy. But I mean, as hard as it is to think about, there is somebody out there who would do what the coach did. Yeah, there are people out there yeah. who do what the coach did. Yeah, um, There are parents out there who have killed girls because of cheerleading. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's horrific and yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we had somebody here who a parent made fake photos of her daughter's cheerleading rivals to get them kicked off the cheerleading squad. Like, it's... People are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Are, I just, I can't. People are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even my, my grandmother used to have a saying, like, when we would go to a cemetery or go near a cemetery, like, the dead can't hurt you. It's real people you have to worry about about Ugh. no i mean she's right she's right i was thinking yep. about, i was actually literally just thinking about that like the dead can't hurt you but yeah yep <sighs> back at sunnydale high buffy yeah like gooby just said buffy said she can't believe a little league coach would do something like that something that causes xander to say she's clearly never played little league mm-hmm. willow chimes in with at least he's behind bars now and buffy says it was quite heroic of xander to grab him like that heroic xander was just doing what anyone would do <laughs> but if they want to label it as heroic Buffy is not just saying that. By standing up to his own fear, the one he's had since he was six, one can say that this is Xander's first step on his journey from average dork to hero. Yep, yep. So we've seen a little bit of Cordelia's growth and we've seen a little bit of Xander's growth. Yeah, I mean, he literally faced down his fear and punched it in the face. A car horn beeps as Hank Summers steps out of his car and waves to Buffy there to pick her up for real this time. (laughs) Buffy tells the two of them to have a killer weekend as she goes to meet her dad hugging him. They head off and Willow has a personal question for Xander. (laughs) 
When Buffy was a vampire, did he still dig her? What? How could she ask that? That's bent. She was, yeah, yeah, he still dug her. He needs help, okay? <laughs> Willow responds with a don't I know it as the two of them walk away laughing. <laughs> so there was one final scene that originally went here. Um, it is just a very short scene, so I can see why it was cut. But the master and Colin are in his lair and the master wakes from sleeping with a start. Colin asks if he had a bad dream and with a smile, the master replies, horrible. <laughs> and that's it that's the end of the episode i will what say is- i will yes. say that um buffy still did look pretty good as a vampire so yeah she did blame xander for still digging her like <laughs> sarah looked good as a vampire and i know it's probably because like they kept improving the makeup every year but yeah. i think willow and xander look they better look the best yeah, yeah, yeah. They look the best as vampires. Oh yeah, they look so. They look so. We good. didn't get to see Giles as a vampire. Because yeah, that was only in a book. Plus, but with, plus with uh, Willow and Xander later, like Buffy was still Buffy. Yeah, in in the vampire makeup. Willow and Xander are a whole other level in the alternate oh. reality. They are I just, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about vampire Xander. I know, I know. It's even like, better than hyenas. <laughs> oh, yeah. at least at least he's not being a dick to willow true so since i did promise some more hard to pronounce words (laughs) uh, i want to run through a list of some of the fears we see represented in this episode we have arachnophobia the fear of spiders atikophobia the fear of failure catagelophobia the fear of being ridiculed colrophobia the fear of clowns entomophobia the fear of insects Necrophobia, the fear of death. Scotophobia, the fear of being stared at. And taphophobia, the fear of being placed in a grave while still alive. So specific. Yeah, I was I was surprised like stage fright doesn't have a specific phobia name associated with it. But so, being in a grave. Well, yeah, I mean the fear of being buried alive. Yeah. But I, I do like the way they 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 phrased they worded that. it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else before we sign off? Um, I think I need to go have a good cry now. <laughs> I know. That was that was a bit that was a oh. bit harder than I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean next week we have out of mind, out of sight, right? Yes. Next week we okay. have out of mind, out of sight. Yeah, so that's that's a little whew, a little less Yeah, we get we get a tiny bit of a break before we go right back into crying. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be fun. Yes. Whew. <sighs> Woo. All well, right. I'm, I'm going to go hug my nine-year-old. <laughs> I'm going to probably go hug my dog. Yeah. Uh, but before we do that, thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time when we talk about season one, episode 11, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which are listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.